This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. Bear down, baby. That's it. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Haw and Dan Weeder. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. I am David Haw from the 670 Scored Bullion Haw Show. Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune. He is. Uh, fresh off a trip to the nation's capital and also reporting at Hallis Hall. It's been a wild dance since we've all been together. Adam and I reacted to the big 40-20 to 20 victory the night that it happened, but you now are catching up. There's been a lot going on. First of all, just how would you describe the whole game and what the victory meant to the Bears after waiting oh, 346 days for their last victory. Is that all? Is that all it was? Uh, (laughs) I I, I will tell you that there was just, there was such um, palpable delight in that locker room on Thursday night. And it's carried over here into week six. I think that's the the best news is the bears had extra time to sit on those feelings, to, to use them as, as sort of the, the good vibrations that are so needed for a team that's looking to to, to kind of climb from uh, the bottom tier of the league to the middle tier. And so I think that the, the, the combination of relief and satisfaction and joy was just all there. And I, I think it is beneficial to them uh, going into this week where again, they, they dive into division play against the, against the Vikings. Vikings Sunday at soldier field. They come in fresh off uh, another loss. They've only won once this season. They still are favored in the game. We'll get into that. We'll get into everything. Let's start it all with our opening drive. It's time for the opening, the, the opening drive. So, Dan, we'll get to a lot of the categories we typically get to break down Justin Fields' game and everything else. Let's start with the injury report because Kyler Gordon designated for return, which is big. Also, equally big for the offense, Khalil Herbert is going to be out for a while because of a high ankle sprain. The saw him get twisted into a pretzel by a bad throw by Justin Fields, and now it looks like Darrington Evans has been poached off the Dolphins practice squad and Deontay Foreman might play a larger role because of other injuries. Roshan Johnson in concussion protocol. Let's uh, <laughs> look at those two situations. Um, offensive uh, backfield, defensive backfield, both affected. Which one do you want to start with? Because I think Defense. they're both notable. And on, on the defensive backfield, the Bears have been optimistic since Kyler Gordon went down with a hand injury that his recovery would be right on the timeline that they needed it to be on. Uh, you, you get through the, the four weeks on IR, you're, you're designated now to return from IR, which gives you a 21-day window to actually be uh, activated to 53-man roster. That should come this week. It, it seems to be pointing in the direction of Kyler Gordon being able to practice, being able to play, being able to be back in that secondary uh, at a time when they, they could really use him. Uh, at the same time, you would expect Jalen Johnson now with a little extra time to heal up uh, from his injury that he suffered in Kansas City to, to be back and ready to go. I mean, look, like this there's an irony to all this because Jalen Johnson forever has wanted to have his battle against Justin Jefferson with the Vikings for 
myriad reasons a year ago he didn't get it because he was hurt. Well, now he's going to come back from his injury, and there's a possibility that Justin Jefferson will be out with his own hamstring issue. But certainly the Bears would be uh, on the right side of that equation for once, if that is the case. Um, but both those guys being back in the mix and then a potential return of Eddie Jackson would would get what was a very, very strong unit in the secondary close to as whole as they're going to be uh, from this point going forward. I think that Kyler Gordon, the expectation would be that he's been keeping in shape, that the transition wouldn't be that much to ask, I I suppose. And I don't know if it's realistic, Dan. I'm just trying to think out loud because when you see Tevin Jenkins return to action as he did successfully Thursday night, pressed into more extended action because of the injury to Lucas Patrick, and you remember that had been since mid-August, since uh, his last contact, I don't think that – I, I guess I don't know. Are the Bears going to apply the same kind of logic to Kyler Gordon thinking, well, you know what? It's been long enough. He's been without football. Let's just throw him back in there to play football. Right. And, uh, you know, I mean, if you can acclimate quickly, if your conditioning is where it needs to be, if you can just get yourself uh, back on steady ground, which Kyler Gordon should be able to do so, it's uh, it's an opportunity. Um Jenkins is a, a whole different story because I think what, what we're looking for there is longevity, you know, and a very impressive return on Thursday night. The ability to give the Bears 37 snaps in that victory in Washington was was very beneficial, particularly, as you mentioned, when they had to reshuffle things when Lucas Patrick went out. Uh, but now you want to see, can Tevin Jenkins make it to November without any sort of injury setback? That's another one right there. So in the offensive backfield, Khalil Herbert's absence, he was on a – Coming, he had a really good game rushing the football yeah. against the Commanders, and he was a guy that uh, had emerged as as RB one, if you will. And Deontay Foreman had been inactive, and then the backup to Herbert, Rashawn Johnson, the rookie, is in for concussion protocol. How do you see those two affecting the depth chart, and when are those guys maybe coming back? Yeah, and and Travis Homer beat up as well, which which then forced you to go out uh, and get a guy that you're familiar with, Darrington Evans, who was with this team a year ago, was hanging out on the the Dolphins practice squad, now gets a return to Ellis Hall. He spoke with the media on Monday uh, in Lake Forest, so good to have him back in the building. But you're just reshuffling there. Now, the good news is that that was one of the positions coming into the season that you felt really good about the depth there. And so when you have a guy like Deontay Foreman, who's clearly going to be fresh after being a healthy scratch the last few weeks and, and has proven productivity, uh, particularly last year when, when, when he took over for, for Christian McCaffrey after the trade in Carolina, um, you've got, a guy there that's established and he's a proven playmaker in this league and, and can give you something there where you don't feel as scrambly as you often do when you get hit with a wave of injuries. Now you just kind of got to reshuffle, uh, figure out when Roshan Johnson's going to get cleared from concussion protocol, figure out what your special teams needs are and, and make some decisions from there. So how do you see it affecting Foreman? How, how do you think that uh, the bears will go into uh, the Vikings in terms of a depth chart? Yeah. And well, I think some of that depends on what Roshan's able to give them, you know, and if he does get the green light, you know, I, I would, I would figure that it would be uh, Roshan and, and Deontay in a, a work share, the way that they've been, been doing things. One more thing on Khalil Herbert, you mentioned um, that injury and, and it was, you know, I didn't notice this until my rewatch that a better pass actually turns that into a touchdown from Justin Fields. If he gets out in front of him, it was actually a good instinctive decision by Justin to keep his eyes up and make the throw. And then he just throws a little awkwardly and Khalil bent in a, in a, a Gumby like position that when, when we watched the replays in the press box at FedEx field, I was punching. And now as you mentioned, he should be out for a, a, a few weeks with what's a, 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 a tough setback given the way he was running the ball. 
Is Gumby like hyphenated? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, Gumby hyphen. Okay, I just want to make sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, overall, though, in terms of uh, Herbert, did it surprise you how effective he? I, I guess my expectations going into the season were that um, you know he eventually was going to get and beat, get beaten out by Roshan Johnson. That didn't really happen. Maybe that was on the way to happening. But I thought that he had been maybe better than expected. What did you think of him before he left? Well, look, the game against the Broncos was truly impressive, and it gave you that that element that you really want when you're trying to form an identity like the Bears' offense is, which is just establish the run and be able to lean on it. He, on the second drive uh, on Thursday night, broke off his longest run of the game, which was a, just a great burst through a nice hole. You know, and when you're able to create holes for Khalil Herbert, he's got the the chance to be a playmaker in that regard. And then one of the, the plays that I starred on my uh, notebook during my rewatch was the, the last possession of the first half. It's a third and seven, and they opted to kind of play – safe and conservative and give the ball to Khalil Herbert on a, on a third and seven play. And he, he picked up the first down and much more and kept churning with, with the help of some good blocking from uh, Cody White here and Nate Davis. And the, like, that's, that's it, right? They were like, when you see those things, you're like, that's winning football right there when you can lean on a bunch of different things. And, and that will be missed in the short term. And hopefully Khalil Herbert's return isn't, isn't too far off. One more running back thought before we move on to the next question about you know, the injury report. Um, how do you answer people who point out that the Bears have an injury and depth concerns at the running back position? Meanwhile, comma, up in Detroit, David Montgomery enjoyed a 100-yard game as part of one of the best teams in the NFC and looks faster than ever. Well, the Lions have dedicated themselves to David Montgomery here in the early seasons. Look, the Bears didn't turn their back on David Montgomery. The Bears offered David Montgomery a contract in free agency. It's my understanding that it was very – much in line with what he got from Detroit. The value of being a free agent is you can choose where to go. And David Montgomery chose that he wanted a fresh start. He wanted to uh, get some some new opportunity and some new scenery. And to his credit, he's making the most of it there for Jared Goff and Dan Campbell in Detroit. The Lions, man, they, that looks like a legitimate operation right now. The Bears will see them uh, next month. Uh, and David Montgomery is is a very big part of, of how that team continues to churn out victories in an impressive fashion. I think that's a good answer. That's the right answer. It's a fair one. I do understand, too, though, that at the end of the year, if he has 1,000 yards and we're evaluating the pros and cons of Ryan Poles as we look to the big picture offseason again uh, after another losing Bears year, then David Montgomery is going to fall under the ca- the con category because he let him walk out the door and wasn't able to retain him. And that's a talent at a position that, while it's not a premium position, still a very important one in Chicago and around the league. That's fair. I, I, I would just say that the Bears, I think, were comfortable with what they were able to do on the whole at that position, the depth they were able to add. Now, look, like if Deontay Foreman does not give you what you want you know, in Khalil Herbert's absence, if Roshan Johnson doesn't give you what you want in Khalil Herbert's absence, then those questions are, are, are very legitimate and very justified. But I think that that's one of the few positions that I didn't lose a lot of sleep over in the off season or, or even at the start of the season, because I thought that they gave themselves an opportunity with some fortified depth there to, to withstand some setbacks. And here we're going to get a test of that. And I didn't mind because I thought they were going to draft B. John Robinson. (laughs) They they might have too, right? Like we never know if they would have. So last injury point, uh, Doug Kramer is eligible to come off the injured list. Lucas Patrick gets banged up. Any connection there? And what do you expect to happen with Doug Kramer? Well, yeah, certainly when he's designated to return and you see uh, Lucas Patrick hurt again, this has been a trend since he became a Chicago Bear. He has also been one of those guys who hasn't been able – 
to stay healthy, you want to have some some depth at center. If this means that you're going to push Cody Whitehair back into the position that we thought he was going to be in uh, back in the spring and summer, then so be it. Uh, he's got to work on a couple of those shotgun snaps and make sure that he doesn't shoot them high and away from his quarterback. Um, but look, like, yeah, Doug Kramer's return gives you depth on the offensive line. Um, we'll see how, how quickly the Bears are able to get him back on the 53 and then whether there's a corresponding move in, in that regard with, with Lucas Patrick. All right, the other big issue I think that was addressed on Monday at Hallis Hall it continues to be one that kind of confuses me a little bit. It, it, I understand why Matt Eberflus might consider going outside the organization to bring in somebody as a defensive analyst or a defensive consultant, um, or even if they wanted to have somebody call defensive signals, which he, he apparently is against. What I don't, what I don't quite get at this point is the public nature of the courting or the thought process because it only it only makes you feel like they're more indecisive than they should be when they take this long to decide something this relatively minor. I wonder where you what you what you think about it and what you can add to what you heard on Monday from Matt Eberflus. No, good question. And confusion is kind of a Monday staple at Hallis Hall during my time on the beat, and it's certainly been that way um, this year. I think some of it is just in the way that you message it and the way you talk about it. And Matt Eberflus now uh, multiple times in the last you know couple of weeks has hinted at the idea that there's going to be a new addition. Um, to the coaching staff, he makes it seem imminent. And then, you know, in the next breath says, if that's the direction we choose to go, it sounds like they've had uh, contact with, with several candidates for a senior defensive analyst role, which would help take some work off Matt's plate. Obviously in the wake of Alan Williams's sudden resignation last month, you're trying to find someone else to, to, to share some workload. And Matt's words on Monday were that this person would be primarily responsible for doing advanced scouting on the next opponent and being a week ahead and being able to provide the book on that opponent in a way that, that helps their coaching staff hit the ground running when it comes time to prepare for that given week. Who is that person? We know it's not Rod Marinelli. He said that even though his uh, longtime friend and mentor uh, has been in touch repeatedly throughout the season, that he's very comfortable in retirement and is going to stay there. Um, I was told that that former Bears uh, cornerback and former uh, longtime coach in the NFL, Leslie Frazier, is not interested in that position at this time. Um, so who is it? When is it coming? Uh, what exactly will happen when they do it? Matt Eberflus couldn't even say today whether it would be a position that would be based out of Hallis Hall or remotely. Um, there's a lot of gray ambiguity floating around this thing, but I read the room today in, in uh, to, to say that there is going to be some sort of announcement here in the near future that they have added someone to their defensive staff. If they don't, I don't know why they've brought it up so many times. All right. Let me ask you three names. You tell me if it's a yes, no, get out of town. <laughs> um, all right. The, the, the speculation, Gary Pinkle, uh, the coach that gave Matt Eberflus his start in coaching. He's 71 years old, I believe. And he's been out of football for many years, probably since 2016, I think. What do you think about Gary Pinkle? I know uh, Mizzou alum Brad Biggs would be very, very excited about the possibility of Gary Pinkle joining that role. So I'll veto that just to, to make Brad a little upset. Okay, but that does seem a little far-fetched, even though it would be on brand, because it would be somebody that Matt Eberflus trusts, respects, and yeah. wouldn't necessarily well, have to move to Lake Forest to get this done. 
I think, you know, when you hear their criteria of wanting somebody with, with, you know, significant NFL experience, that would be one thing to, to keep an eye on. Um, they also, this would be a pro side, but like they want uh, familiarity with the bear system, you know? And so that, that would be something that, that you'd have to sort through as well. Lovey Smith. I doubt I, they love it. No, get out of town with that. There's no way. Okay, that, I no mean, way. it's been suggested. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a messenger. The the the, the messenger is is scurrying out of town quickly. But I think that you know you shoot him away. But still, I, Lovey Smith is a name that has come up. It just feels too awkward to me to to, to return in that capacity and and to to kind of you know Lovey's too big of a figure in this town to just kind of sit quietly in the, the background as a oh, I senior totally, defensive analyst. I totally agree. It's a terrible idea. But <laughs> this It's a terrible idea. I mean, we have romanticized the tenure of Lovey Smith to the point where if he would come back in that role, we would need trumpets and a coronation because of the way that we have built up what he accomplished at Hallis Hall as the head coach. They're, those were the halcyon days compared to the last decade. So, I think that, yes, you could not bring somebody in with questions about the head coach, the current head coach's viability and experience level. And then, oh, this defensive assistant, you know, meet the guy that you're compared to. <laughs> the last guy who went to the Super Bowl here. Yeah. Yes. No, no question. Terrible idea. Get out of town. All I right. Good. Ask. Glad, glad right. we agree. Mike Singletary. I don't remember if we mentioned this on the podcast or not, but he was in the building recently and, uh, you know, has connections to both Matty Refluse and Kevin Warren. Uh, I'm not sure what his current interest level in something like that would be. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't turn my nose up at it in that particular role. Um, you know, like, I think like you, you have a very specific defined role here in terms of what Matty Refluse laid out on Monday. I, I, I wouldn't, I'd be okay with that. And the last name is only because we talked to him about it and he said he was not interested, but he didn't say it really with a lot of conviction, to be honest with you, because he's a friend of mine, Dave Wanstead. It uh, doesn't sound like he's interested. <laughs> it doesn't, does it? But it, it, it might be something that he reconsiders and maybe that's why there's hemming and hawing because, you know. You have to give up the lucrative uh, media deals that he has. I would love it if he didn't and he did both <laughs> jobs. Could you imagine that? Yeah. That would yeah. be fascinating to have Dave Wanstead in the studio on Tuesday morning on his way to Hallows <laughs> Hall to break down some tape. And then, by the way, text me on the way home, Dave, because we want to know what you watched and what you think of it. That would be terrific from a media standpoint. Yeah, no question. And maybe you could give us some clarity on some of the injury situations as well. But it would be something like that, right, Dan? I mean, somebody who has been in the business, somebody who – and I don't even know – I don't even know if, it, if it's necessary. Here's what I – here's my take on this whole thing. I don't know why there's been a conclusion reached by the head coach or the organization. There's nobody on his staff that's qualified or worthy of a promotion or the extra job. I just think it's more a manpower issue where you just you like you lost a defensive coordinator. You know what I mean? And there's just there's a lot of workload that comes with that role. And now the head coach is assuming a lot of that. And then it spreads him a little bit thin while he's trying to juggle different things. It's just a, a manpower issue. I'll give you an example. Back in the day when we were actually uh, teammates in, at the Chicago Tribune, you remember how big the staff was, the things we were capable of with a big staff. Well, now we're not that big anymore. And so there's things that I would love to do that I can't do because we don't have the bodies to do it. So sometimes adding a body helps the productivity of all the bodies that are already there. So I thought that analogy would probably hit you uh, 
directly uh, in, in familiar areas. I, I'm just going to ignore the analogy to the head coach there. I'm not even going to touch that one. Uh, the 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 I, I won't even get into what that means about what what. Never mind. You're coaching. <laughs> you're you're a, you're the, you're the primetime player. I'm, I'm just kidding. an assistant. I'm just yeah, an assistant. Okay. Here. All right. Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Let's move on to our QB1 segment. All right, so Justin Fields had his second straight strong game in the air. It certainly helped that DJ Moore was there to throw to and to make the most and have his own career night. 230 receiving yards, 80% of the Bears' output in the passing game. Dan, I can't believe that as the Vikings get ready to come to town on Sunday that Kirk Cousins leads the NFL with 13 touchdown passes, but Justin Fields is one of four quarterbacks in second place with 11. Four of those came against the Washington Commanders. This was a big night for Justin Fields, his second straight big statistical game. This time, he did not have the turnovers. This time, I think he could leave feeling very good about what he did on the field. Eight of those touchdown passes, David, came in a five-day span. Obviously, reopens the door to imagine. To imagine that this is a uh, significant moment in a, in a young quarterback's development and growth process. Now we have to see what he backs it up with and how the consistency goes from week to week to week. How you handle success, how you handle failure has been impressive. And now you got to string some some um, games together. What, what was terrific during my rewatch on uh, of this game was just how in control and in the flow of everything the quarterback and the offense were in the first half. They put up 307 total yards in the first half against the commanders, scored 27 points. You and I talked forever about this team's inability to score 21 points in a game. They got 27 before halftime and did so in convincing fashion, scored on every single drive of the first half. And you saw a quarterback, David, from the first drive uh, through the end of the first half that just was locked in and making big plays. Now, look, I'm not going to grade on a curve because DJ Moore elevated the performance. That's why you got DJ Moore. You went and got him a legitimate number one threat so that he could he could lift the quarterback in moments where the quarterback needed to be lifted and the quarterback could lift him in, in ways that uh, you know he, he needed to be lifted as well. Awesome night for those two guys together. And it started on the very first uh, series, you know, with the 58 yarder on third and nine and then a third and 14 touchdown pass. It's just a, a, an absolutely tremendous performance by that group. First category defining moment is one of those plays yours. Yeah, no question. It, it, for me, it starts with the, the touchdown to the start of the game. You could go with the 58-yarder a couple plays before where DJ Moore put that nasty uh, double move on Benjamin St. Juice. But the, the, the touchdown for me was it was Fields 
in control of the moment. You know, it's third and 14 there. You want to make sure you walk out of there with at least a field goal. But that doesn't mean you get gun shy. And it doesn't mean you don't take a, a look at a window where your top receiver is running. It doesn't mean you don't try to manipulate the safeties on the back end with, with your vision. Justin played that play perfectly. And he ripped the throw that, in my opinion, three weeks ago, he's not making. For whatever reason, when we're sitting there up in the press box going, throw it, throw it, throw it. And then it doesn't come out. Here it was. Boom, boom. Bam. It's out. It's in DJ Moore's hands. It's a touchdown. You felt the entire energy of the group rise with that scoring drive. Bears, remember, they won the coin toss and chose to take the ball. You go down and you back up that confident decision from your coaching staff with a touchdown drive and a touchdown pass like that. It's a defining moment in my opinion. Well, that's where I was going to go. I think that's a good inclusion because to me, the defining moment for the night was – and I'll, and I'll pair these. Maybe I should start. I'll go with my defining moment, the last touchdown pass. The last touchdown pass was uh, the 56-yarder the to DJ Moore with to 409 seal it, yeah. left. It, the, to seal it, the dagger, whatever you want to call it. But it was also the end of sort of the the lull that occurred. And you started to wonder, like, here we go again. Oh, man, Luke Getze, do not fall into this trap. And that was more aggressive waking up to the way that the Bears had approached the entire night. The defining moment of the night was actually the coin flip when they said, <laughs> we want the ball because we are going – what they basically said was we are going to attack, we are confident in our offense, and we're going to get a lead. And then the last touchdown kind of related to that followed through. So opening statement, closing statement, both strong in the sense of that they were going to seize the opportunity, and I think that's important for an offense that built on the comp, built on the momentum that was created against the Broncos, and continued to come out with that sort of aggressive mindset that was evident early, and then when it needed to be late. Uh, what a delightful rewatch for once. You know, you're like, man, is this what it was like in Green Bay for 30 years that every Monday they got to go back and and <laughs> look at video of, of a high powered <laughs> like you just see how the other half lives and you're like, man, right. I would I would love this to be part of the new norm. You know, if, if they can continue this on and build on what they're doing right now instead of instead of regressing like we've seen so many times. So there weren't many down moments for Justin Fields, but did you have an uh oh moment? That's yeah, so my uh oh moment is what we talked about earlier. It's just the attrition in the backfield. And the reason it's my uh-oh moment, and, and we talked about the throw to Khalil Herbert that that winds up with him having an ankle sprain. It's not just uh-oh because the throw wasn't great. It's uh-oh because now you're, you're, you're testing the depth of your running back room. And what worries me and why I say uh-oh to that is if it opens the temptation for you to overuse Justin Fields as a runner on design quarterback runs and exposes him to more potential hits and possible injuries, that could be one uh-oh side to having your running back depth depleted because it could put more on the legs of Justin Fields, which we're trying to, to keep that in a healthy place. And I think they have the last few weeks. It just, it gets you into to uh-oh territory really quickly. Related to that, the only time you really said uh-oh was when Jonathan Allen picked up and body <laughs> slammed Justin Fields. You don't want to expose him to those kind of moments, even though, it was one of those things where uh, I'm surprised there wasn't a flag. You, it, I think in 15 other games and 28 other quarterbacks, 29 other quarterbacks, you're probably going to get a flag there. He picked him up. His feet were off the ground and he threw him in the turf. <laughs> He's so hard that when he rolled, he knocked over Nate Davis and Nate Davis fell on top of him too. So you're like, uh Oh, what's going on there? And I don't know if it was something that, because he's a big guy and because he inflicts his own share of punishment when he's running the ball, 
that referees tend to look at things a little differently when it's Justin Fields. But here we go again. It was well, like one of these things where that could have been – it was. It seemed like more than a football play on a quarterback. Great tackle if it's a running back, but it wasn't. Well, so this is this is an interesting topic of conversation. And I'd like to kind of do my own homework on this in the coming days. It's just had Justin converted himself from a thrower into a runner at that point, which then kind of changes the way they officiate it. Once you have committed to being a runner of the football, you're, you're afforded less protection when, when guys are trying to tackle you. Now, if he's standing in the pocket and Jonathan Allen does the exact same thing, I think he gets flagged for unnecessary roughness, but Justin had tucked and he was running forward. And I think that's one of those things where, where it's, it's a really thin line for officials on trying to decide, uh, you know, what to call and what not to call. But I think that is something to keep, keep in the back of your head that once you have converted into a runner they are allowed to do more to you than you are if you're standing back there throwing the football fair enough good point nice distinction but and he may have converted from a quarterback to a running back but the only way that he was going to get a flag was probably if he had converted into Patrick Mahomes Joe Burrow or Jalen Hurts or Josh <laughs> Allen because I'll tell you what if those guys got body slammed like that there would be a flag and I'm not being provincial and I'm not a cheerleader but I do think that you get the calls when you are those guys that Justin Fields doesn't get for whatever reason, maybe because he's not as accomplished yet. But I think I can't imagine a scenario where Patrick Mahomes gets taken, lifted off his feet, piled, drive into the ground, and there is no flag. No, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to dispute that with you. I think for my purposes, I think there is a distinction to be made when you're a runner versus a thrower. I think you're right in saying that that nine times out of ten, the guys that have established themselves as the faces of the league um, have been benefits, uh, beneficial of those calls. Um, yeah, interesting. And I mean, interesting topic and interesting to keep tabs on going forward because I, I, I do think that, that he's a hard player to officiate because he is so dangerous as a runner that you can't completely neuter an opposing defense when when he's trying to run. All right, we talked about a lot of other things on the bright side. Unless you wanted to add it a positive, we'll get to our key number. My key number, well, we can tie them together. The on the bright side, and, and my key number is 307. It's 307 yards in the first half of a football game? Like, wow. what? Like, I got the halftime box, and I was like, wait a second, is this last week's final? You know what I mean? You're not used to seeing those numbers associated with the Bears' offense. And like I said, it was just so fluid. It was just so rhythmic. It was so in control in the first half. Um, I mentioned this on WSCR on Monday. The, the second drive of the game was my favorite drive of the first half, and the reason why, it, it only resulted in a field goal, and it stalled at the four when Cole Komet stopped a a yard short of the, the first down, but there were so many little things that were done well and so many things that went right. You know, you've got a designed quarterback run on a, on a read option wrinkle that, that they got Justin out on. There's a, a pass to Robert Tunyon that is a very short game, but it's just quick, decisive ball on target, ball on time. There's a smoke screen to DJ Moore that, that the ball is thrown in the exact right spot so that, you know, it's not high in a way where DJ's got to adjust to it. And now the defensive back sheds his block and takes you down for a gain of one. It gets out for, for a gain of nine. You get a tush push on that series and you get you get a first down with a, a well-executed sneak, which would have been very timely the week before against Denver. Big run by Khalil Herbert. There's a, a tight end screen to, to Cole Komet. Now that one was a lucky break that the Bears got a bunch of on Thursday night because that ball got punched out and Cole was somehow able to basically recover the fumble with his with his thighs, it seemed like under that pile there. Um, and then, you, you know, you just, you just had uh, a whole bunch of plays where it was simple done well. 
You know, and how many times, David, have we talked about them botching the simple and then, you know, there was a throwaway. Justin Fields had a throwaway on that drive too, where you go, okay, instead of a seven yard loss, the ball went out of bounds and and you, you weren't behind the sticks. And so it's, it's just beautiful to watch. I, I would advise you go back and look at it just for the, the, from the standpoint of like, this is fundamentals. This is crisp execution. This is the, the fruits of that. I think that they grasped common sense. It seemed to, I mean, it was, they did the common sensible thing. Uh, time and again, that had been lacking a lot. I, I think that's a good one. My, my key number would be 158.3, and that is the passer rating on throws between Justin Fields and DJ Moore, <laughs> 27 of 34 for 531 yards. That, to me, underscores what the identity of this offense is becoming. It's becoming an explosive pass-oriented offense, which I don't think, yeah, maybe we didn't see coming. And I don't know how sustainable it is because as defenses evolve, the Bears are going to have to adjust. But what's happened is that D.J. Moore catching 230 yards uh, worth of uh, receiving yards is it, it, remarkable. It was historic, the biggest output since Alshon Jeffrey, the second highest in Bears history. And Justin Fields is – in that moment, either they're complimenting each other, but we talk about him all the time needing to be a multiplier, needing to be the kind of guy that – and by doing that, it's by giving DJ Moore a chance to make plays and trusting him to do that. That's what happened. So all things seem possible with this offense when DJ Moore is the target of so many Justin Fields' passes. And so I think that's the big development the last couple games that we haven't seen it seemed like a long time ago now, and probably has been since we were complaining about only getting two targets against the Packers. Oh, no question. And two of the most notable things I thought Justin Fields said post game was one, he said, look, when you get the ball to DJ, good things happen. So we need to get the ball to DJ more. Great example of that. Everybody involved, Justin, Luke Getze, everybody with that offense has to, has to see, man, we threw him the ball eight times. He caught seven of them. 230 yards and three scores. Like we'll cash in on that every single week. And the other thing is, is Justin said he was, he laughed out loud and basically said, I was surprised to see how often DJ was singled up. And there were times in the press box where you'd see them come to the line of scrimmage. And you're like, really? They like, they're going to go to a, a single high look with a, a, a corner out here uh, playing man coverage against DJ Moore. And they're, they're going to, they're going to test themselves that way. Even that, uh, you, you know, the, the game winner that you mentioned just a minute ago or the, the game sealer, you know, that that pass from Justin Fields is it's it's a probably three quarters of a second late being delivered. And the DB jumps it. And even Darnell Mooney said that for a fraction of a second, he thought it was intercepted. If that pass gets picked off and goes the other way, we're having a totally different conversation. But instead, DJ Moore makes a great catch on it not only converts first down, but then takes it to, to the end zone. And again, it's like, this is the reason you have this dude in your building because he's a game changer and he changed the game all night long in Washington. And the bears are, are going to learn a lesson from that. You did remind me of another uh-oh moment though. Uh, the throws to Darnell Mooney weren't there and he could have, he was open. He got open and then just a couple times didn't just deliver uh, twice. So that's another reason why there was such a disproportionate number of, of passes thrown to DJ Moore and met so many yards by him because he, he missed Mooney. And th- that's something that uh, can't happen moving forward. No. And, and this, this is a big moment for the Bears offense because now you have defenses fearful of what Justin can do to you as a runner and a scrambler. You have defenses fearful about what DJ Moore has shown now for five games. I think there was a stat somewhere. I'll have to pull this up for our numbers package later in the week about uh, players who have had uh 
averaged at least 100 yards and a touchdown in their first five games with a new team. The last guy to do this was Randy Moss with the Patriots. So it tells you what, what DJ Moore's instant impact for the Bears has been. Well, now that opens things up for Cole Komet. Cole Komet's been productive the last two games. Now that should open a door for Darnell Mooney to be able to do a little bit more. And this is where this is where good offenses become truly dangerous when it's just like, okay, they've got X, Y, and even Z taken away. Well, guess what? We've got another answer right here in our back pocket. All right, let's wrap things up with our two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. Related to our conversation about the offense, Dan, have to mention we haven't talked since Chase Claypool was given away to the Miami Dolphins for whatever draft swap compensation they got and maybe some uh, Florida oranges. Not quite sure what was involved. But what did you think about that move? I I think it's addition by subtraction, and uh, I, I wish him well and his new team. And, and maybe this will be the the, uh, the wake-up call that his career needs for him to get back on track. Was that you all over social media who was saying you were really impressed by the, the trade the Bears made? Cause, that cause was not that, me. That was not you. Okay. That, that was just, not me. I, I, would, I would not be that guy. No. <laughs> if, you want to, if you want to peg me as the guy making fun of people who might have congratulated <laughs> Ryan Poles, I'm more likely to be that guy. As you might okay. have heard on the Mullen Haw show on Monday morning. So, so you like so you weren't celebrating giving away the thirty second pick for a guy who got you fourteen catches and then you get a, a conditional pick uh two years from now? That was No, I was not. I was All the right, guy sorry. I was the guy owning the fact that when they made the trade for Chase Claypool, I was optimistic and gave credit where I thought it was d- deserved that this was something that let's go back now, a year ago. There was this need and the clamoring for get weapons for Justin Fields, get him a wide receiver, do whatever you need to do, Ryan Poles, because you need to get the most out of your quarterback. He's such a great talent. And then they did it. I had questions and concerns maybe because Mike Tomlin gave up on him, but I wanted to give him a chance. Because Chase Claypool squandered that chance does not make the logic faulty. It's just that the they gave oh, yeah. up too much in retrospect, and now – Giving him away to the Dolphins, you get no congratulations for not being able to get the most out of a player in your organization. I was joking with Mark Potash, who put on Twitter that, you know, he put a, one of his sarcastic tweets about uh, this is the parade route that the Bears are going to go on yeah, for, for, for accomplishing yeah. that trade. I said, look, you've got to pull this tweet back up uh, in the final 90 minutes of day three of the draft in 2025 when they're picking in the sixth <laughs> round instead of the seventh. You know, now you've got an opportunity to, to, to really to really hammer that home. Back to your original question. Subtracting Chase Claypool from this equation is 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 a win. The trade is a loss from a year ago. Getting rid of of whatever that was, whatever that juju was in that room, whatever the uh, just the headaches and the, the the emotional fuel you have to spend trying to 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 deal with high maintenance issues, like just just get it out of here. This team is not in a position to deal with diva tendencies from a guy who doesn't produce like anything, you know. And so, look, like farewell, best of luck in Miami. Um, Maybe Mike McDaniel can unlock something and, and maybe Chase Claypool being in a uh, an organization that looks like it's on its way to a deep playoff run in January will be a better situation for him. You heard Cole Komet last week say like Chase is a little bit easier to deal with when he's winning a lot. Right. And so maybe the change of scenery in that regard will be helpful. But like I wouldn't turn my 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 head over my shoulder for a second. If I were Ryan Poles at this point, you take the L on the 2022 trade. You feel satisfied that DJ Moore is here and that we will probably never have to think about Chase Claypool again from this point. Addition by subtraction. I agree. All right. Defensively, Greg Stroman Jr. Had himself a very strong game. 
it was, I thought it was interesting because the team that drafted him was the, was in Washington. And then he comes back and he went to, didn't he go to Virginia tech nearby, relatively nearby. Same His family was at the game. Yeah. Yeah. That was the thing. And he, he made a couple of nice plays. You like to see that happen, especially when pressed into action. And I think it was interesting too. Matt Eberflus, a little more aggressive defensively as a play caller, trust the secondary, even though they were playing without three starters. And I think maybe it was just desperate times call for desperate measures, but Greg Stroman Jr. also made that look like a wise decision. So Greg Stroman was one of the players I talked to post-game at FedEx Field. And I just want to share kind of behind-the-curtain look at, at, at our job at certain points because he, it had been, you. I think you said, 346 days since I had been in a winning post-game locker room. And you get used to like, do I want to talk to player uh, A? Do I want to talk to player B? And then after a loss, you're like, do I really want to like, ruin this guy's Sunday evening by, by going to ask him about some play that, uh, you know, I'm only going to write a paragraph about and uh, he screwed up on and a guy got behind him. Well, this was the first time in 346 days where it was like, Hey man, how cool was it to make that, you know, takeaway <laughs> that, that, that lent itself to the victory that broke the, the losing streak. How cool was it to come into the third quarter and time up a blitz really well and sack Sam Howell. And you just, you, you like, you had forgotten what the, the cheerful energy in the back and forth can be when, when players are making big plays plays and they're resulting in victories my god couldn't we just get that even seven times a year that would be a a fun little thing for all involved and and i give greg stroman a lot of credit for how grounded he's been really all off season through the summer training camp at being in his role at that moment that role obviously heightened when kyler gordon went on injured reserve and when you get a moment on a primetime stage and you seize it you deserve all the applause that that comes your way Another shout-out, Cairo Santos, four field goals. He's been remarkably consistent really since 2020, Dan. I mean, he's been really Yeah, solid. he had the extra point blips last year, but otherwise really, really good. And four, four, four field goals on a night that uh, they score 40 points often gets overlooked, but – they, they are, he's at the point where maybe you take him for granted a little bit. It doesn't get overlooked when Joey Sly misses a kick and pushes it wide right at a point where, you know, the, the commanders really could have applied some psychological pressure to the Bears there, you know. And so when your kicker is making all your kicks and their kicker misses one and now all of a sudden the cushion gives you that breathing room and that anxiety level comes down. Again, like, David, there's so much in this game where you're like, that is winning football. I said it uh, earlier. This, this is a, a performance where you, you started fast and you finished strong. It's a performance where your stars, DJ Moore and Justin Fields, played really well, and your role players like Greg Stroman and Kerry Blazingame and, and Andrew Billings and Terrell Smith stepped up. It's a game where you just got a, a, a complete three-phase performance. You had offensive fireworks. You had five sacks and two takeaways. Winning football. I, it's like uh, the, the adrenaline starts going because it's been so long long since we've seen a team be able to put it all together like they did on Thursday night. That's a great point. The only last thing I had was to point out two guys that stood out the second time you watched the game to me on defense alignment was Andrew Billings, who I think had yeah. a very strong game on offense. Darnell Wright at times is, is as nasty as advertised and he's, you can see the traits that are going to make him a fixer at that position for years to come. Yeah, I mean, look, like there's a lot to like in that dude's physical skill set as he continues to get more comfortable. And now I think Ryan Poles is very eager to see what his original offensive line was supposed to look like with Jenkins and Davis back in the mix, potentially having uh, Cody at center. And then uh, obviously we got to keep an eye on on the return of Braxton Jones in the next month or so. Um, but you could get closer to the hole. And if you have a, a very sturdy, stable offensive line, all of a sudden the quarterback gets a little bit 
more comfortable and less nervy back there. And that opens the door for a lot of good things. Anything else we left out? No. Um, look, again, a long week here in week six, which is good for the Bears and and a division opponent coming to town. Uh, I, like the Bears aren't good enough yet, David, to, 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 to kind of start looking too far ahead and being like, oh, we got a chance to get on a real roll. But this particular game is a moment, right? It's, an, it's a moment to seize at home against a division foe like the Vikings and to, to start to inject some relevance back into a season that for four weeks was an absolute disaster. It would be really cool if they could back up the win in Washington with a home win in front of the crowd at Soldier Field. We'll take a look at that game in more detail on Friday morning when we drop the next Take the North podcast. For now, for Adam Studzinski, our producer, Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune, I'm David Haw. Thank you for listening to the Take the North podcast on your free Odyssey app and for watching uh, on the Scores YouTube page. We will talk to you one more thing from Dan. Yeah, just before we go, because I wasn't part of the postgame pod on Thursday night, did you offer a formal apology to Studs? Because he was very adamant that the Bears had moved the ball well a year ago against the Commanders, and we kind of laughed him out of the out of the stream yard room here. And I just wanted to make sure on the record and on the air we gave him a formal apology because he was probably owed that. It was pretty late, so I don't remember if I did or not. Um, I would tend to remember when I apologized. Because You're welcome, Studs. A lot, but yeah, sorry, Studs, if we <laughs> overlooked that. I probably forgot because it was kind of late. But I will definitely thank him and, and apologize the next time we see him in person. He is vindicated as he lets us know in the chat box. So, all right, we're all taken care of. We have all the penance served, and we're ready to roll. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We'll talk to you next time. Great talk to you out there.